Good morning, Harvest. Man, a lot of familiar faces, but some I definitely do not recognize. My name is Pastor Dan. I had the awesome privilege of actually working at Harvest Spring Lake for about three years. And now I work with Pastor Eric Klingel at Harvest Fremont. I think I got a picture of my family. Let's get that up there. I want to show you. Isn't that beautiful? There you go. A couple more awes would be okay right now. There you go. Um, just married off our youngest daughter this summer. Our youngest daughter, we just married her off this summer, and um, my wife and I are now officially empty nesters. My wife is happy about that. We're empty nesters, and we have been blessed with four beautiful grandbabies, all girls. Our life is good. We've been very blessed. Um, It is a privilege to be here with you guys, and I'm so excited to open up God's Word. We're going to be in Galatians 2. Verses 20 and 21 today. Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure we'll get one into your hands. But I'd like for you guys to turn there. But I have a question before we get started. You guys have had a series about a series going on about the gospel. And so my question is this: How many of you are confident that the gospel changes everything? Okay, there's got. How many of you are confident that the gospel changes everything? Amen. Before we go any further, I want to help you understand, and I'm sure you do, but just in case you don't, maybe you're visiting for the first time what the gospel is. The gospel, quite simply, is good news. It's good news. In order to be good news, that means there had to be some bad news along the way. God created a perfect garden, a perfect world where he would put Adam and Eve in this garden. And he'd say to Adam and Eve, you can do anything and you can eat anything. But from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. Because the day that you eat that is the day you will surely die. It didn't take Adam and Eve too long to eat from that tree. And in that moment, what happened is a perfect creator God was now separated from Adam and Eve because of sin. But there's good news. There's good news. You see, God had a plan, and it was through his perfect son, Jesus Christ, who he would sin to bear the weight of our guilt and our shame and our sin to make a way to God. And when we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we put our faith and trust and hope in him, we will be saved. That's the good news. The good news is the gospel equals good news equals Jesus in my place. That's not on your notes, but you can fill that in. So my question for you today is this. If the gospel changes everything and you believe it's good news, is this good news changing you? Is this good news changing you? Before we dive into Galatians 2, 20 and 21, I want to share a story with you. And before I share the story with you, I want to let you know that I have received permission from this young man to share this story. It was a morning service at the International Aid Building. This was Harvest Spring Lake's meeting grounds for a while. This young man came in last, and he was the first guy to leave out of church. He didn't want to talk with anyone, fearing that someone may smell the alcohol that was on his breath from the night before. See, this individual knew Jesus. 
He knew that Jesus came to die for him. He was raised in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor, and he believed at the age of 10 he gave his life to Christ. This young man knew verses. He could even walk you through Roman's road. He had even been an elder at another church. He tied to his church. He read his Bible from time to time. He helped out people when they needed it. This guy would tell you stories about how he never missed his children's field trips and how yearly he would take his wife of 16 years out on vacations. He seemed to have a resume that he was more than eager and willing to share. The reason for sharing his resume was because his life had recently been flipped upside down and he couldn't figure out what was happening, but God was working. Married 16 years, he was facing the fact that the marriage was over and divorce was right around the corner. This man would have fits of anger and rage doing all he could in his might to stop the pain. Drinking simply became a mask to cover up that pain. Thoughts of suicide were often on his mind. This man quickly started to justify all of his sinful decisions he was making. Blaming his current situation on everyone and everything. But God was working. This confused, scared, worried, anxious, fearful man with no hope would receive a phone call from one of the pastors at Harvest Spring Lake. This guy turned the first meeting down, but this pastor was rather persistent. God was working. So after the second call, this guy agreed to meet up for breakfast with this pastor. After all, what did he have to lose? His world was falling apart and crumbling beneath him. These two individuals would sit down at Bob Evans, and the gospel, the good news, the Jesus of the Bible, would be lifted high. This wasn't the first time this young man heard the gospel. However, for the first time, by God's grace, his heart would slowly be softened. He would soon realize that his resume was nothing more than just words written on a piece of empty paper. He would, in the next couple months, come to understand the love of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the hope in Jesus, the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and absolute redeeming power of Jesus, and that this Jesus was his Jesus. This pastor would shepherd him with both grace and truth of the gospel. This truth, while hard to hear, was delivered with grace and love and not condemnation. And church, the reason I know that this very young man does not mind me sharing this story with you is because that young man was me. And this persistent pastor was Dave with sin. And I will forever be grateful for the grace and truth that he spoke into my life, constantly pointing me to Jesus and the truth of the gospel. But I don't share this story with you to make big of me. And I don't share this story to make big of Pastor Dave. I share this story with you to make big the Jesus of the gospel, to lift high his name and make him the star of the show. These next two verses in Galatians are verses that were given to me as a homework assignment. They were given to me as a homework assignment, and I would say to this day, 10 or 11 years removed, these are verses that I go to weekly, if not daily. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them. Get to Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is explaining the importance of the gospel in these two verses. And my first takeaway is that the gospel by design is personal. The gospel by design is personal. Paul is an apostle who was commissioned by God. He was sent out by God. Paul would write over 13 books in the Bible. I would argue and say that he was probably the biggest influence in the Christian church going forward. And he knows the gospel's for him. It's for him. When you're reading God's word, what I would encourage you to do is when you're reading verses like this is when you see I or me, put your name in there. Dan has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Dan who lives. It's Christ who lives in Dan. In the life Dan now lives in the flesh, Dan lives by faith. Write your name in there. Make it personal. See, leading up to this point in the text, false teachers were kind of talking, and Paul was addressing the church of Galatia, and there were people that were running around talking about how there needed to be more laws, and that being saved by grace through faith in Jesus wasn't enough. You need to be circumcised. There were other laws that were coming into place, and Paul says, guys, that's not true. That's not true, guys. You're not justified by your works. Galatians 2.9, a little earlier on in the text, Paul says this, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul's saying, boys, that, that law doesn't work. Been there, done that, tried it. It doesn't work. It's not about law. I died to that law. Jesus did the work for us on the cross. Matthew 5.17 Jesus is saying these words, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Only Jesus could fulfill that law perfectly. He is the only one who came and lived a life of perfection, and he is the only one that could go to that cross for you and I Being right with him isn't through laws. Being right with God is through Jesus on the cross. Gospel is personal. Verse 20 says that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Some of you are sitting there going, what does that mean? What does that mean to be crucified with Christ? I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not crucified with Christ. I didn't go to the cross and die. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? It means that your sins were paid for. It means that every sin you've ever committed, every sin you find yourself in now, and every sin you may commit was paid for by the blood of Jesus. It means that you have a new identity and that you're no longer enslaved to sin. I'm going to say that again. You have a new identity and you're no longer enslaved to sin. Amen? We're not enslaved to the sin that we found ourselves in before. The struggle is real, church. 
the struggle is real. I don't know what you came in here with today. I have to imagine that many of you have come in with sin. And you feel like you just can't get through it. And every time you turn around, bam, you're just getting hit. Then crucify with Christ. Crucify with Christ. It's no longer you who lives. It's Christ who lives in you. Don't need to be enslaved to sin. As I was going through this 10 years ago, I had to hold on to that. I had to remember that I'm not enslaved to the things I used to do. I got a new identity, and it's in Christ. See, I had to stop living for myself. Anybody struggle with living for themselves, or am I all alone? No one else? Does anybody struggle with, thank you, thank you. Yes, it's a daily struggle, but I had to learn and realize I'm not living for myself anymore. Blaming people around me. Blame, 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 blaming people around me. Everybody else's fault. Anger? Boy, did I have anger. Anger at the drop of a hat. Pushing against authority? If you had a badge, I promise I was pushing. If you were in control of something, I promise I was pushing against that authority. But the biggest authority that I was pushing against in my life in that season was God. I had to start believing that my identity was in Christ. I had to start believing that my sin doesn't rule me anymore. I'm not enslaved to that. That indeed I've been crucified with Christ. That old Dan was gone. And as I was working through counseling and, and, and people were pouring into my life, there was other verses like Romans 6, 6. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verses like Ephesians 4, 23 through 24. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life, Dan, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, Dan, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Dan, and to put off, put on the new self, Dan, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And as I started to learn these verses, as I started to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit moving in in my life, I wanted to get to know this Jesus more. I wanted to get to know him in a different way. I wanted to understand how do I put these things to death? How do I stop living for myself? I needed to daily go back to the truth of the gospel that it's Christ who lives in me. See, I needed to recognize that I have a new power source. I have a new power source and that he lives in me. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, guys, this life I'm living now, I'm not doing it in my own strength. He lives through me now. 
He's working and moving in and through me, guys. That's what you as followers of Christ should be holding on to. It's Christ's power in you. Church, listen. You have no ability to do anything in your own strength. You have no ability to do anything in your own strength. It is all God's power and His work in your life. Had a lot of men walking beside me in that season. It wasn't their power and their work. It was Christ's power through them working with me. He gets all the glory, church. All of it. From him, through him, through others, to me. I promise you that Pastor Dave did not love me in his own strength. I promise you that. If you see him and you say, hey, how did you love Dan in that season? And actually, if you actually looked at him and said, how do you love Dan now in this season? He would say to you, the power of Christ in me. I literally, through counseling, watched that man's hair turn gray. I am not joking. I took years off of his life. And he should thank me because he's going to be with the Lord sooner. (laughs) But that is the truth. He didn't love me in his own strength. He loved me because of his love for the Lord through him. I'm so thankful for um, Harvest. I'm thankful for the men and women that walked beside both my wife and I in that season. And I know that many of you that have been here for a season know that Dave, Pastor Dave, Pastor Cal was sent, and then Pastor Chris Moeller, when they started the church, they prayed. Are you ready? They prayed for messy ministry. They prayed for that. They're like, Lord, bring us messy people. We want messy ministry. And what I get to do is go like, praise Jesus. Their prayers were answered by sending them me. A mess. A mess. My messiness and your messiness, I promise you, you're all a mess. is exactly what Jesus died for. Our mess. He came to save us from our mess. And if you surrendered your life to Christ, listen, I'm excited about this. We're just saying about it. If you surrendered your life to Christ, you get the helper. You get the Holy Spirit. The Spirit now lives in you. Can I get an amen on that? Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Sealed. Can't be taken away from you. My debt was paid. Your debt was paid. No longer enslaved to that sin. Guys, this brought me hope. This brought me hope in the darkest days of my life. Does it bring you hope? 
Today, does that bring you hope to know that you've been sealed when you've surrendered your life to Christ? It should put a smile on your face and a joy in your heart like no other. You've been sealed. To know that it's His strength, not yours, that brought me so much hope to know I wasn't doing this on my own. This verse goes on to say that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This flesh and and faith stuff was kind of hard for me at first. It's kind of hard for me at first because I'm like, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And I'm like, I know flesh and I know faith. And and being that guy who didn't submit to authority, always wanted to challenge the guy sitting across from me would say, yes, I obviously know Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I, I know what faith is. I understand what faith is. But what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me right now in the here? In the now of my life? And not only the here and the now, but how? How? I'll never forget being walked through that. Dan? was asked to me, Dan, you believe in the Word of God? Yes, I know, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching. Yes, I believe in the Word of God. You really believe in what God's Word says, Dan? Yes, I do. Well, do you believe that you're no longer enslaved to sin then? Because we just walked through that. Ah. Dan, you feel like you're doing it, acting upon and living out this faith. Living out and acting on the Word of God. I can't. You don't understand my life. It's falling apart, man. My, my family's gone. I, I've lost everything. I don't know where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. Yeah, but Dan, do you believe that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you? And he's going to give you the ability to act on these things, even when it's difficult. Oh, okay. No matter how you feel. Are you kidding me? My faith and my walk with God always depended on how I felt. And if I'm truthful, that still can happen. But no matter how I feel... Because, Dan, the old is gone, the new is here, and you don't live in that flesh anymore. You're a new creation. Believing and trusting that God knew what was best for me. Giving our lives to Christ does not take away the desires of the flesh. Giving our lives to Christ does not take away the desires of our flesh but it does give us the ability to overcome the desires of the flesh with the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
Church, we cannot lose sight of the fact that there is a war that is raging in the spirit, in the flesh, and it is daily. And these two are opposing one another, continually fighting and pressing and pushing against one another. We've got to prepare ourselves for that battle. We've got to be ready for that. As I spent time walking through counseling and understanding that my identity was in Christ, that that's who my identity was, understanding that I had a power source, man, an awesome power source that resided in me, the Holy Spirit that could never be taken away. As I understood how to forgive even when someone didn't ask for forgiveness, I was asked this question by my counselor. After we had learned these things, this is what he asked. How have you loved your wife this week? What? You're talking about me and you're asking me how I love my wife? Have you not been here the last two months? Are are you kidding me? How have I loved my wife? Dave, Dave looked at me and said, Dan, you're not the same guy you used to be. You've got a new power source. Your identity is in Christ. You're not living in your flesh anymore, Dan. So he says, here's your homework. Do something kind for your wife. You guys ever watched a movie where you have two people sitting there and you know that the one person really wants to do something bad? So they like go to another screen and they, they like make up something. You know what I mean? And then they come back to reality and they're both still sitting in the chair and nothing really happened. In that moment, sitting in the counselor room, he said, you're going to do something kind for your wife. That's your only piece of homework. I wanted to get up and smack that sandwich out of his mouth. Because he was eating. Why is counseling me? I wanted to pick him up and throw him out of his office. And then I snapped back to reality and realized that's not what I'm going to do. but I was in the flesh. That is exactly what is happening. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Oh, I want to go over there and just smack Matt Barley right in the face. I don't want to do that. Can't do that. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. And I say that all jokingly. That's what it's like, man. There's a war. There's a war, and as we continue to live this life out in the flesh. We need to live it out by faith in the Son of God who loved us, loved me, and gave himself up for me. I realize that I have a new life and that it belongs to Jesus. I have a new life and it belongs to Jesus. See, Paul is preaching and he's teaching the good news. He's saying, guys, we have a new life. I have a new life. It's that Jesus who took our place. I live for him now. I don't live for the old Paul. The Paul who would go out and persecute others who weren't doing things the way that I thought they should. I live for Christ now. For me, this was what we call uh, in counseling a watershed moment. A watershed moment is nothing more than when you're sitting with counselees or, or anybody that you might be discipling, 
and you're pouring your heart out, and you're talking to them about Jesus, and you're just trusting the Lord to do the work in and through them, and then they may come in after about three or four weeks, five weeks, ten, just God's timing, and a switch goes off. It's like a light bulb goes off. And you can actually watch it. It's pretty awesome. You can watch this switch just turn in their minds, and they just kind of look at you. And you get all excited, and you try to just stay composed, trust in the Lord. It's like, babe, I think they got it. It's going to be good. That's what happened to me. See, I, belo- I believed that um, Jesus belonged to me. I did. I believed it. From the age of 10, I believed it. Grown and raised in a Christian home, dad was a pastor. I knew that Jesus belonged to me. Light went off. I wasn't living as if I belonged to him. That was my moment. That was my moment. I was not living a life as if I belonged to him. I needed to change in my life. I started to see this gospel as the good news that he was my Jesus, he was my identity. That I had the power source in me. And not only did he belong to me, but most importantly, church, I belong to him. Do you belong to him? Not just does he belong to you as something you pull out of your back pocket. Are you living your life Believing the gospel, the good news, saying, I belong to you. I want to change. Verse 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness, righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify simply means I don't set aside, I don't disregard, I don't discount, I don't void out. God's grace. That's what nullify is saying. I don't nullify God's grace. In verses 11 through 14, in the text right above, Paul is opposing Peter. That's what's happening. I would encourage you to go read that on your own time. But Paul is actually opposing Peter, another pastor. And the scene is, is Peter is sitting at a table with some Gentiles. He's chilling out, and I can just imagine him eating a big fat steak. Some good pork just dripping down his face, just hanging out, and then something happens. The door opens up, and some Jews come in from the Jewish party. And Peter's sitting with the Gentiles, and these guys don't follow the same laws as the Jewish party does. Peter just invites everybody to sit down, and they all gather together, and the story goes on, and it's great. It's not at all what happens. Here's what Peter does. Eating with them, the Gentiles, he drew back, and he separated himself from them. At one moment, it's okay for me to sit and eat with you, Somebody sees me eating with you and you are not like me. I'm gone. And he separates himself from these Gentiles. Why? Why? 
text is clear. He was fearing the circumcision party. That's another message about fear of man and man-pleasing. He was in fear of what others would think of him. Paul is calling him out, and he's saying, dude, your conduct, Peter, is not in step with the truth of the gospel. What are you doing? I don't believe for a second that Peter forgot the truth of the gospel. I don't believe that he forgot that it was Jesus Christ crucified. After all, he was a teacher of it. But I do believe in a moment, he was fearful. He was fearful of what other people would think. When Peter made that decision, it affected other people. People in the room even got up and moved. And then it goes on to say that even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, another pastor, was led astray. He was a colleague of Paul. He was another teacher of the gospel. He was led astray. Everybody acting like a bunch of hypocrites, not the truth of the gospel. And what I think is so precious about these two verses, verses 20 and 21, is this is the scene that had just taken place before before Paul quotes these two verses. Paul just witnesses Peter doing something that was hypocritical, not in line with the truth of the gospel. And Paul says these two beautiful verses. See, I believe that when we get this grace, when we get it, I believe that grace was received leads to grace given. Grace received leads to grace given. Paul is taking time to look at all these people in this room and he's saying, guys, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget God's grace in your own life. Don't forget the grace in my life. Righteousness has nothing to do with us. Our righteousness has nothing to do with us. It is all grace. It is all Christ in his work. Paul absolutely gets loud with Peter. And he corrects him. And he calls him out and he's like, what are you doing? But at the same time, he's extended grace. Uh, Many of you have probably gone to church a long time, and so at some point, I'm sure you've uh, heard this, I'll have people come up and they'll start talking to me. My wife and I were actually out golfing the other day, and when you tell people that you're a pastor, the conversation just changes. It's just weird, but it just changes. But when I tell people what I do, they'll say, I'd go to church, but they're all a bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, yes, they get it. That's a starting point. Come on. See, they say one thing and they do something different. Do you? Do I? Do I forget God's grace in my life? Do you forget God's grace in your life? Do you nullify God's grace in your life? I do. I can go back to the law real quick. 
and I can at times be a hypocrite often. The truth is, if we're honest, every one of us do that. It may look different, but every one of us do it. 1 John 1.8 says that if we, if, we, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. We all have sin. We all have something in our own lives. Oh, man, we're good at pointing out other people's sins, aren't we? Not extending grace. Simply hear about a sin. You don't even witness it. You just hear about it. And you point it out. Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan. That dude walking into church this morning, he had a cigarette in his mouth. His friend had a cigar. I'm like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You have no idea what they were smoking before that. Pastor Dan, you know, I'm okay with your tattoos. I want to let you know that. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Because I got them for your approval. But listen, there's a couple people in this church, and I'm so concerned about them, Pastor Dan, because they have tattoos on their neck. In their hands. What? Really? About music choice. Music choice. Pulling a parking lot. Somebody's thumping some ACDC back in black. I'm like, yeah, that's a good song. Oh, can't listen to it on my radio, but I can listen to it on your radio. <laughs> Brother, you're causing me to sin. Turn your radio down. Huh? Oh, we point fingers all the time, don't we? Thinking we got it all figured out. If it's somehow the way that we're doing things is better than the way that somebody else is doing things. It's a hard one for me, and I'm ashamed to even have to admit this to you openly. After walking beside and watching a ton of people's lives be changed, including mine, and my wife's, and my kids. I'll say this out of my mouth as I'm sitting across from somebody in the counseling room. Legs crossed, notepad in hand, and they're telling me their story, and I'm like, you ain't ever gonna change. I say that in my head, and I say that in my heart. Nullifying God's grace, right there, that's what I did. Not believing that it counts as anything. I'm ashamed to share that with you, and I pray, Lord, let me never forget that it's your grace that, that changes people. I believe that grace learned leads to grace taught. Paul calls this pastor out on his actions, but he does it by reminding Peter of the truth of the gospel. And that the truth applied for himself self as well. Some of you guys are in small group. Show of hands, how many people are in small group around here? Fantastic. Small group and the people that were walking beside me weren't afraid to call me out, and I'm thankful for that. And they're still, still not afraid to call me out. But they're teaching me. The grace that they received, they're now teaching me. 
There were people in my life that, that knew and seen so many different things that I needed to change, but they were patient, allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. You see, people in my small group and people that would walk beside my wife experienced this awesome, precious, vertical grace that was poured out through the blood of Jesus on that cross, and it, and it, it hit them. And what they did is they got down and they weren't afraid to get in the mud with my wife and I and horizontally extend that grace to us. Are you doing that with people in your life? Are you doing that in your small groups? Are you going back and remembering the grace that was poured out on you and then saying, I'm going to teach that to you and share with you the Jesus of the gospel? Listen, only his grace can save us from our sin. Amen? Only his grace. But we absolutely can extend grace to people who do not deserve it. Are you doing that? Mom's at the soccer field during sports time, and there's a mom there that you can't stand, and she's not raising her kids the way that you think she should. Can you extend her grace? Can you teach her grace? Kids getting ready to go back to high school, college. Everybody has a circle of influence around them that you're able to extend this grace to. Every one of us. Are you doing that? At church. So many things in the world right now. Can you just extend grace to one another? Show each other grace. Give each other forgiveness. We do that by remembering that we're equal at the foot of the cross. I do not forget God's grace. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not forget, I do not nullify God's grace. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And he did die for a purpose. For you and me. Grace met me then, and it's grace that's going to meet me now. I don't know what you've gone through in your life, but listen, at some point, if you have a relationship with Christ, you need to understand that it was grace that met you right then. And no matter what you're going through now or down the road, it's grace that's going to meet you right there. Paul is reminding Peter in the church of Galatia Standing with God is all his grace. It's all his work. Guys, it's all him. It has nothing to do with us. It's not the things that you do or don't do. I don't know about you, but it seems like the longer that I'm walking with the Lord, I understand it. But it's difficult. Because I think it's something to do with me. Church, he loves you the same day, or the same way on your best day as he does on your worst day. He loves you the same on your absolute worst, darkest, scariest day as he does on your best day. 
And where the law says, I condemn the sinner, grace reaches out and says, I got you. Grace welcomes the sinner. Law condemns and grace says, I've got it. Jesus says, I've got you covered. You come right here. You're safe with me. My wife and I would both end up going to counseling. We would learn about our identity in Christ. We'd understand full well that the Holy Spirit takes up a dwelling in us. We'd experience the grace in our life. And by God's grace, 26 years married now, we can extend that to each other. And we pour it out to others, and we're teaching them. Never forgetting that it was God's grace that met us right there. And church, that it's absolutely God's grace that's going to meet us now. The gospel, the good news, Jesus in my place changes everything. Need to ask ourselves, is this good news, this gospel, changing me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for the way that you come and meet us right where we're at. But there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that we are justified. We're seen as perfect, holy, blameless, sealed because of the work that you did on that cross. So Lord, today I pray that we all leave here as individuals asking you to reveal in us what it is that needs to change. Lord, I know this broken, sinful man right here today will forever be grateful for the grace that you've given me. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that has a question about your grace and how to surrender their life to Christ, that they don't hesitate, that they do that sooner than later. Thank you for sending your son to save the sinner, not the righteous. And we love you. We give you all praise. In your name, amen.